organizations that now offer apps like Headspace Health, uh, right, um, for for meditation, mindfulness, or Calm,、um, and and many others that I don't mention by name. Um, I don't think a lot of organizations even track whether or not their employees are using the benefit,、um, and that's a very basic data analytics you can do. On today's tech talks, I'm talking to Serena from PayPal and Sean from Blink as we explore how technology is helping improve the dialogue between those at the top of the organization and everybody else. This is Tech Talks, your weekly technology podcast with myself, David Savage, powered by Nash Squared. Good morning, Amber. Thank you for joining me. How are you? Yeah, I'm really good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, good, good.、Um, I I always feel like I should nickname you Judith Chalmers. Name me what? Judith Chalmers. Oh, Dave, this is going to go over my head. You're going to have. You're know, going this, to have is, to. this is brilliant for for a podcast which has now got an international audience. This is a very specific reference that just ninety percent of our audience would have gone. Who? Judith Chalmers was a presenter in the UK on a holiday program. You basically love a holiday. I, That's why I'm calling you Judith Chalmers. Ah,、uh, okay, okay, that makes sense. Yes, I love a holiday. I love a holiday. I love a adventure, a little trip.、Um, yeah, I'll take that. Okay, fine. Yeah, she used to present a show called "Wish You Were Here." Oh, do you know what? I think I've heard of that. Actually, is it like? Well, you probably yeah, have. Is it like one of、yeah. those kind of like place in the sun type type TV shows? Yeah, but like from like the late nineties, so probably a little、uh, bit more. Going back、tweet. a bit, I'm afraid, Dave. <laughs> Before my time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll shut up now. No, but I say that because it's the bank holiday weekend coming up, and come on, you 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 love a long weekend away, which I'm very envious of. This isn't me taking the piss. This is just me being a bit jealous. But are you going anywhere? What should not be going anywhere? Um, no, I'm not actually. <laughs> but I was in Oslo last weekend, and very nice,、uh, which was lovely. And um, in about three weeks' time, I'm going to Bratislava. So I do love the fact that you go to some genuinely not. Maybe random's the wrong word, but places that you wouldn't necessarily kind of have on the usual tourist traps. Yeah, do you know what? Because I think I've done a lot of the touristy type places,、um, and they're obviously they're great, they're really nice.、Um, but yeah, I'm starting to kind of go a little bit different and kind of off the beaten track a little bit. So、um, mm-hmm. yeah, I'll, I'll have to let you know how it is. But you've got some trips coming up as well. I've got some trips coming up as well.、Uh, let me stick with you for one more、mm. second, though. If you had to recommend one place that you've been that's perhaps a little less Well known.、Mm-hmm. Go on. Maybe because I've just been there really recently, but I would have to say Oslo actually. Yeah.、Um, yeah. I wasn't sure what to expect, and it kind of exceeded my expectations.、Um, it was yeah, really really nice, and I think the weather always helps as well.、Um, and then I guess besides that, I'd probably say you know your usual places like Berlin,、um, like Greece. I went to Santorini as well a few weeks back, which was really nice. Uh, obviously, that's not kind of that's obviously very touristy, but、um, yeah, I think Oslo. Oslo is a bit of a different one. I didn't know what to expect, but I was really, really impressed. Listeners, I wasn't kidding. Amber is a walking、uh, travel brochure. <laughs> This might sound like it's completely irrelevant to, to technology and tech talks and the interviews that we've got coming up today. But today's show is all about, or is wrapped up in people analytics, HR technology, communication. Um, it's wrapped up in mental well-being and 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 so on. And part of that is getting away and having a break from work every now and then. So it seemed appropriate with the bank holiday weekend coming up. No, Dave. You know what? You've done a great transition there, as always. <laughs>、um, I'd expect nothing less. 
or slightly random and around about the houses. But look, our two guests today, Serena, Global Head of People Analytics, Virtualization and HR Technology at PayPal, based in the US. Sean Nolan, Chief at Blink, a company that started in the UK but is growing in the US. There's a definite transatlantic feel to today's show. Um, we will start with Serena's interview. Myself and Amber will be back shortly. So joining us on the podcast today, we've got Serena. Thanks for joining us today. You um, you work at PayPal uh, as their global head of people analytics, virtualization and HR technology. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me on the show. No, no. Well, look, it's an absolute pleasure. I, I was very lucky to bump into you when you were exceedingly busy at Unleash America because I, I know that you kind of were giving a keynote and then having to get back and kind of catch up on a, on a deluge of work so it was it was good to, te- to, to meet you briefly then and uh, really kind of you to give up some time today. Yeah it was great to see you for 15 minutes. <laughs> I did enjoy your talk. I Thank mean, I was, you. I was lucky to be able to sit through your talk at least. Um, look before we get into anything else Global Head of People Analytics uh, visualization and HR technology. That's a pretty wide remit. What do you actually do for PayPal? Uh, essentially, we bring data analytics to talent decision making. From hiring to promotion to development, we use data to make better decisions at PayPal. And and what form does that take? Because it sounds incredibly simple, but of course it won't be. <laughs> Yes. So certainly we have uh, multiple pillars of capabilities within my organization. Um, I will start with one that most people probably associate with data analytics. It's reporting. We're focusing on scaled reporting, meaning not just when you want something, you come ask for it, but we're pushing insights to our leaders on a regular basis on things they might need to know about their workforce. So we have reporting. We also have consulting. These are internal customer-facing consultants who can turn problems into something data analytics can solve. Um, And then separately, we've got advanced analytics, uh, data science capability, and and then finally, employee listening, which is our survey strategy, uh, along with how essentially we get feedback, better feedback from employees, and turn those into actionable insights. So those are the four pillars under me in people analytics at PayPal. Um, Every organization has a little bit different flavor of people analytics, so I would like to share that's holistically what we do. It's interesting there that you kind of focus in on on management skills and feedback because you, you've written um, extensively on LinkedIn, but there was an article that you put up a little while ago where I think the second point in it is is that your manager is very important. And I suppose okay. it's one of those things that as we've moved to hybrid working, we have less interaction with uh, kind of our colleagues all around us in the office. And there is far more importance, I suppose, through that one-on-one relationship that you might have with your manager. Absolutely. How, how are managers adopting to that? Because I suppose for some of them, it, you know, they, they might feel that they didn't necessarily have the tools to adequately kind of manage their staff in this, this environment that we now found ourselves working in. Yeah, that's, that's been a big change since the pandemic started. Um, I would say a lot of managers before the pandemic had only managed people in person. And suddenly, March 2020, the world had changed. They had to go from being able to see how people are working and helping them in person to completely remotely. Uh, Many have adopted well, some have not as well. 
Um, personally, I have learned a lot of lessons around being more intentional with my team and really building in um, casual moments as well as formal moments. So because we don't have the water cooler moments anymore in person, um, even in hybrid, you have much less of it. So we have to be much more intentional. Um, when I run my all hands, I always carve out some time for the team to get to know each other. Something casual, but every every time we spend about 20 minutes on that. Um, just not talk about work and get to know each other as, as people. Um, I definitely recommend that for managers as well. Do you know something that's not work-related about every person on your team? If you don't, try again. <laughs> so again, that's very simple, but we tend to a lot of times get so work focused that in one-on-ones you're talking about projects. Did you get this done? Um, and, and maybe, maybe there's something going on in their life that you need to be aware of so you can better support them as a manager. So, um, I think that's super important for managers to be more intentional about it. Um, the job market is still super hot. Uh, I also think for retention purposes, you want to know your people on a personal level beyond just are they getting work done. It's interesting because that is almost an, an unanalytical unanalyt- approach <laughs> to uh, analytics. I mean, in, in a way that uh, obviously knowing something personal about each each of your team is 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 a very human quality uh, how how though is data i suppose helping those relationships is it is it that the people analytics nature teams are beginning to give tools to managers to be able to better understand their workforce yeah definitely so i would say couple with those uh um you know in, intuitive approaches uh to getting to know your people um we do a lot of check-ins um we call them check-ins because they are not very formal surveys more casual uh pulses on the workforce so we'll randomly sample employees globally uh on a bi-weekly basis to check in on different topics that the leadership team is interested in so whether that is you know what do you think of the company um new strategy or how do you feel connected to your colleagues how is manager supporting you those type of topics um that everyone is very interested in and so we share back those insights on a regular basis with our leaders um and so of course you you won't know uh whether or not it's coming from your specific team members but over time with enough data you know with thousands of employees that we have um you get to see some of the themes and trends over time uh, where you're doing well as an organization where you might need a little bit of help um and certainly within that type of surveys text is really important right so it's not just the scores on uh, how you've answered but also what do people say so we always provide an opportunity for open feedback um and employees might say well i could use some more help with remote work i feel disconnected for example uh managers might say i need uh you know i need some additional help now that it's hybrid it's more difficult than pure remote um i do hear that from uh from people i've i've spoken to that when you were remote it's uh, everyone on the same playing field right now that it's hybrid there's some people in the office and then some people are still at home um 
Um, and how do you run an effective meeting even in a hybrid situation? Uh, we're starting to provide managers with toolkits to be inclusive in running those hybrid meetings, for instance. Um, and a lot of it is based on the feedback we've heard from employees. Um, so, so yeah, again, creating simple rules. Um, like no one speaks up until until everyone has spoken once, right? That could be a simple rule. Or alternatively, you could say everyone who is remote gets to go first, then the people in the room. Um, again, very simple to create a more inclusive environment because otherwise you naturally are going to focus on people in your physical space more. So. Um, so yeah, so those are some of the ways we've been able to use employee feedback and data um, and turn them into actionable, useful insights uh, and recommendations for our people managers. It's interesting that you touched there upon inclusive environments as well, because you, you've spoken about the fact that, you know, leading with empathy is important, creating a safe environment to talk about mental health is key. Um, could you just expand on that a little bit? Because I suppose that's an area that we are beginning to talk, thankfully, about mental yes. health more openly, which is important. But how that, I suppose, can be adopted by analytics teams, by HR tech, and making sure that it's done in a way that's consistent is quite key, right? <laughs> yes, uh, there's so much in this topic. Uh, we'll probably need another hour. Uh, so I'll touch. I'll touch high level on... Uh, a few things. So certainly, one, when it comes to emotional and mental health, um, that's, that's be, let's be honest with ourselves, there's still a lot of stigma in the workplace to talk about mental and emo emotional health. So, um, so one thing that I think leaders can do more is by sharing more candidly and be vulnerable with their team members. You don't have to share if you're going through something super personal, but I do think, um, but I do think coming from a leader saying, I personally value physical and emotional health the same. And if you're not at, if you're not feeling your best, uh, whether that's physical or emotional, that's okay. Take some time off. So, um, so I think one talking about it helps remove the stigma. Um, it does take work and it's very challenging. So I, I definitely want to acknowledge that it's, it's not super easy. Um, and, and so, so that's one. And then as far as data analytics goes, um, you know, I think there's certainly, employee feedback that we can gather, not specifically on mental health per se, um, but around other things that we know influence mental health. For example, manager support that I talk about a lot, um, it's so critical. If because um, you know your relationship with your manager is one of the most important in the workplace. If you don't feel supported by your manager, whether you are physically ill and need some time off, or you're emotionally not feeling well uh, and just need to be off camera or uh, or take a nap, right? Those are simple examples. But if you don't feel the connection with your manager and you don't feel supported you're not going to bring it up. And then what happens is employees might push themselves too hard and then that leads to burnout, which is terrible for a workplace. Um, ultimately, that's not sustainable. So, so I think there's a lot that analytics can do to help quantify um, and identify issues beforehand before it gets 
uh, to the you know burnout stage I was talking about, um, get signals around whether or not employees feel supported. Um, asked around workload, for example. Again, um, I, I actually don't recommend asking directly um, about mental health uh you know, conditions for employees. Certainly there's a lot of privacy rules that prevent you from doing that. And also um, it's really difficult to act on something like that, right? Surveys are confidential. So if someone really needs help, um, you may not be able to know who they are. So, so, but um, in terms of identifying um, issues with workload, manager support, um, and then doing something about it as an organization is really helpful. One, one way analytics can help with that is isolate areas of opportunities. For example, you might find a particular location, a particular office is having more issues with their workload, poor work-life balance, for example. Um, you can create a strategy for that particular location or office um, instead of doing, you know, if, if not every office is having this issue, then focus on those. Um, so I give that one example. Um, separately, there's a ton of organizations that now offer apps like Headspace Health, uh, right, um, for, for meditation, mindfulness, or Calm, um, and, and many others that I don't mention by name. Um, I don't think a lot of organizations even track whether or not their employees are using the benefit. Um, and that's a very basic data analytics you can do. Whether you ask the vendors per, to provide that information, how many people actually logged into the app in the past 30 days? Um, which, or, which business unit, which uh, locations, again, are using it more? Um, so, so I think one utilization could be a metric that you might want to track as you roll out this type of benefits for emotional and mental health. Um, and then two, ideally, you want to be able to quantify the benefits as well. Um, so whether, you know, whether you have some sort of survey going on beforehand around and you have a question around work-life balance, for instance, um, and then you roll out a program or you provide some sort of app to help employees, after three months, after six months, do you see an improvement in general? Um, and if the answer is no, then perhaps the apps is not working. Um, and if the answer is yes, do you know which group of employees you're actually helping with this new benefit? So, um, so again, these are programs that definitely cost organizations money. And we need to be more mindful about the ROI we're getting, um, as opposed to just saying, we have done something, we've rolled out this great program, um, and never really quantifying the benefits. I think being able to quantify the benefits is definitely good for business, but also good for employees. Um, you could use that to make recommendations and, uh, you know, if you know a particular app is working better than others um, and make a business decision to invest more in one versus others. So, so there's a lot of data analytics can do uh, in the space that we're not doing today. Out of interest, if there is a, a piece of technology that the organization has invested in, say an app like Headspace, and the utilization is low, as, as an HR professional, what, you know, what, what do you think is the best way to get people to engage with those tools? Because cause it can be that there's some great, great ways of engaging with your employees out there, but it is difficult to get people to, to spend time on them. It is. In my experience, a lot of people simply don't know. 
Um, we are overwhelmed by communication these days, right? Um, no one wants to read another email about something new that is going on that they have to learn and download. So, um, so it's really important to make sure it is part of, part of your natural day to day. Um, I led a meditation in one of my meetings the other day, uh, for example, and that's five minutes I was very intentional about that I wanted to give to my team. Um, it was great for me. It was great for everyone, right? Um, so as a leader um, in HR, you can set examples of how, how you have used those technology to help yourself, for example, and share your own personal success stories, uh, but then also potentially partner with communications team um, and and share those success stories more more widely um, and maybe carve out time as, as an organization on we're going to be this is going to be our mind for 15 for example and just spend 15 minutes um, for those who haven't downloaded the app now is the time here's how you log in um, but I think we need to both um, as people managers and as HR leaders, create that time and space for employees. Um, otherwise, otherwise it may not happen because we're so busy. Look, I, I appreciate that we're getting towards the end of our time together. So I've got one last question to ask you. You've, you've not long uh, been at uh, PayPal for over a year. It's what, a year and three months now, right? <laughs> yes. From that first year, um, what would you say your highlight has been? I mean, you've worked at some some big organizations prior to being at yes. PayPal, but what kind of really stands out from that first year? I have really enjoyed building the team. Uh, it's one of my favorite things to do in life, and and this yep. is why I. Um, I've kept on building people analytics functions in different industries. Um, we have more than quadrupled in size since I joined. Um, and that's massive amount of growth for people analytics. Uh, so being able to see that and, and really bringing talent that complement each other with their skill sets has been incredible. Um, I love running the team assimilation exercises where we get to know each other, where um, team gets to know me and, and vice versa. So um, so it's, it's been a lot of fun. We are now at a size where we created an internal mentoring program. Uh, again, it's, it's not a huge organization, uh, but I've paired up, um, our consultants with our more technical talent. Um, and seems like there's even some reverse mentoring that organically had happened. So this brings me a lot of joy as a leader and, uh, I can't wait to see what's, what's next for us. Amazing. Look, it's been Really interesting to talk to you. I really appreciate you giving up some time. I hope that the rest of your PayPal journey continues to be so positive. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Right, there's a couple of points in this that I thought um, definitely were worthy of focusing in on. Um, and one of the words that Serena keeps coming back to is intentional, being more intentional with my team. And that's not just the formal moments, it's the casual moments. So because we haven't got any water cooler moments necessarily, I know you're in the office today, but you're often not, that you have to be purposeful in having casual moments with her team uh, or with your team more, more generally rather. Um, is that something that you think that you've seen a growth in over the last year or so? Yeah, I think so. And I think it's really strange because before they would have become, they would have come so much more naturally, wouldn't they? Like obviously you go to get a coffee in the office, you bump into somebody, you have that casual kind of conversation. And I think we've mentioned this sort of many a times before on the pod, but when you are at home, 
to reach out to somebody by a team's call or dropping them a message, it does seem as though you have to have some sort of purpose to gain contact. You have to have a question or you have to have some reason as to why you're reaching out. Um, so I think you have to make a more of a conscious effort to, yeah, to have those casual moments, to have sort of a casual kind of catch up or a check in just to see how people are. Um, mm. Otherwise, it does seem always really quite formal and quite rigid and it's quite sort of direct and to the point. So, yeah, I think, as she said, I think I like the choice of language as well um, that she's used there just to make sure that you are checking in, you are seeing that people are okay. And um, and I guess, as you mentioned at the start, obviously that's how, you know, you get sort of more productivity out of people as well. It's just, you know, having that kind of camaraderie rather than it always being straight to the point, very sort of work focused and, yeah, just, just very formal, I guess. Do you think you know your manager's better now than you did prior to the shift to a hybrid working environment Mm, I don't know it's difficult to say I think I think yeah I probably do if I compare the days I'm in the office and how much I maybe would speak to my manager because obviously there's lots of people in you're always kind of floated about it's Mm. um they're spread a bit thinner perhaps whereas when they actually you know reach out to you and it's very one-on-one like you do get that opportunity to actually get to know them a little bit better so yeah I'd say I think the balance it definitely has helped but I'd say um yeah being at home and having that one-to-one conversation it does make it a bit more personal which you probably wouldn't get in the office when there's so many people around yeah because when Serena was talking about inclusive actions um on the back of feedback from managers in hybrid settings and so on she talks about the fact that on a, you know, a, a kind of a remote and in-person meeting, you know, the remote people should go first or no one speaks up until everyone has spoken. And I kind of thought, you know, if you're an introvert, that might be a bit scary. But actually, I think that people do know the people that they work with better than they used to. Like, <clears throat> we might not be as familiar or a, around each other as often, but we've probably shared more in the last couple of years or being a bit more open or we've had to be a bit more open because of the circumstances and therefore people are probably a little bit more comfortable um to speak up mm. because they maybe they feel that they belong a bit more i, I don't know maybe that's that's a random thought no, but no, it, I, do, I do agree with you and i think as well um i'm not saying that everybody goes around and gives like a tour of their house obviously when they're in like a team's video but just getting that insight in somebody's like personal life because i think when you come to work uh, I'm not saying you come as somebody else, but you obviously put on, you know, your formal attire. Um, yep. You know, you put on your sort of work persona, perhaps, when you're in the office. Um, or, you know, if you're meeting with clients, customers, whatever it may be. But I yep. think when we've had the opportunity to be a bit more relaxed and people to sort of see our natural selves in our own kind of natural environment. Um, yeah, you, you do get a bit more of an insight into somebody's life. You know, even if that's yep. like... I don't know, silly things like their cat walking around in the background. It just kind of sparks conversation. And then from there, you're like, oh, okay. And you do get to learn a little bit more about them. So, yeah, I think it has yeah. given us a bit more of like a window into people's sort of personal lives. Absolutely. Or well, putting on a baseball cap backwards because you can't yeah, be that's, yeah, that's hip and trendy though, Dave. As we said, that is very <laughs> hip and trendy. Go walk off a very short <laughs> No. Uh <laughs> um I, I also love the point that she makes about we are overwhelmed by communication like we massively are um we get so much stuff thrown at us and it's good stuff but she talks about the utilization of benefits um for mental health so for example apps around um meditation or mindfulness and then how many app, uh, you know organizations actually track the usage of those services we've had so many things rolled out to so many different platforms we have teams we have 
Yammer, we have intranets, we have email. It's really hard to keep on top of that. And she talks about the fact that, you know, it should be part of your natural day to day. So she led a five minute meditation, again, intentionally in one of her meetings, rather than it just being another app to go and use. She made it a, a part of the day. And I thought that was really, that was very aware. And, and it's, it's, you know, actually making use of some of these services rather than just kind of saying they're there for you to use. It's really making sure that they do become part of the working day. Mm. Yeah, no, I think, again, I, I thought that was a really sort of um, a great way to go about it, really, because as you said, obviously companies um, spend like a lot of money on all of this this stuff. And, you know, it's great. Some people really use it. Perhaps others don't so much or just don't get the chance or don't get the time in their day. Um, so the fact that she's obviously sort of weaved that into her like actual like meetings and stuff, um, there's almost like no excuse, is there? Because no. like I say, I don't, I don't think a lot of people use it because they genuinely like they don't want to or they're not bothered about it, but it, it's more because they just don't get the time. So it's one of those things you... Well, we forget. Yeah, you just like, sort of like put it to one side. to us. It's like, oh yeah, shit, we've got that, haven't we? Yeah, exactly. No, you're right. Like you say, you just kind of like put it over to one side, don't think twice about it, and it's and you just kind of get on with what you're doing. So if she's you know, incorporating that into her day, into meetings, it really gives moment people like a moment of mindfulness to be like, right, well, I can't ignore this anymore. Um, you yeah. know, let's have this meditation setting, um, uh, meditation session, sorry. And I'm sure that, you know, they'll probably get quite a lot from it. So yeah, I think it's really clever, like say, and it is really aware. It's a really like, um, again, she's making that sort of intentional, that conscious um, sort of effort to make sure that people are okay and they're sort of utilizing all these things that they've spent a lot of money on as well yeah absolutely look the first interview serena's is all about very much people who are tech savvy digitally uh kind of linked to an organization our second interview sean is a an app for frontline workers who um sorry an app that frontline workers want to open every day you know talking about another service this is one that that very much is pitched at frontline um, workers be that refuse collectors or cleaners or medical staff um, uh, and it's all about kind of access to payslips rostering shifts but it's about making sure that people who aren't digitally connected to their organization um, have a voice feel heard and make sure you know that the kind of the organization itself gets the best ideas from them um, I thought this was really interesting because linking back to what we've just been speaking about this is about traditional parts of industry trying to get up to speed with with gig tech and the gig economy and talking here sean talks about the fact that the usa is ahead of the curve where it comes to this desire for more and more apps and kind of um a creation of of kind of a a marketplace of different services that organizations can use it's a really fair point though isn't it that we all take for granted that we are very well connected to our organisation. But if you work in childcare or refuse collection or you're a cleaner, a bit harder. Yeah, no, no, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Like you say, although we don't use some of these things, we, yeah, we do almost like take it for granted because other people don't get all of this, all these benefits and all these nice kind of internal communication apps and stuff that we have. So um, I guess that in itself is like a reason to use it a bit better or just use it a bit more really. I suppose my question to you is with all of this technology, do you feel like it's a two-way dialogue? Do you feel like feedback is taken, um, that, that you can kind of have a voice? Or is it, here's another thing to use, here's another thing to use? Yeah, I, do, um, I think it's more the latter, to be completely honest. Mm -hmm. 
I think there's loads and loads of stuff there. And like I say, a lot of it, I'm sure, is, is great. I can't uh, say that I use a great deal of it, com- to be you know completely honest. Um, but I think what you mentioned about actually like looking into the data would be really a, g- a great way to kind of like track who uses what, what's actually like commercially kind of like viable for the organisation, what stuff they potentially could get rid of, which is not being used. Um, and then, as you said, like what stuff is actually being used and then we can take feedback or you know track something from that so it's actually used but with good purpose and, and there's benefits that come from it as well yeah yeah i think i think there's definitely a it's double-edged mm. sean talks as we, as we're about to hear as i said about this kind of explosion of apps that that are available and certainly being led in the us but it's making sure that we aren't overwhelmed that they are used intentionally and they are built into our days and i fear at the minute that the message is that a lot of organisations haven't got that bit right and they need to think about it and, you know, to steal from Serena, be more intentional. Yeah. What do you think? Do you think it's a bit much sometimes, like all of the, these different apps? Or do you think it's like a good kind I of I think balance? it's very well-meaning. Mm, oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. No, so do I. But but I, I, I probably only... I mean, the thing is on my phone, like, forget about work. I probably only use like five apps on my phone full stop. Mm. And so when you start adding in all this other bits of communication, and we do still to an extent use email and Teams probably more than anything else... The kind of the headspace to think about other stuff is it's tricky yeah and i think it depends how the app is like laid out as well which might sound really mm. stupid but if the app looks like super formal it's just like logging back into like your teams or your email isn't it whereas if it's a bit more like yeah. um i don't know just a bit more exciting like you know to look at or um you know aesthetically a little bit more pleasing or there's like something that kind of takes you away from like the working world then I think maybe you're a bit more inclined to use it. Whereas if it's just a really formal, boring system, it's like, oh, well, you know, I'm just doing worky stuff, which is not really the idea behind it. I guess obviously it's work-linked, but that's, yeah, it's, it all sort of just merges into one thing. You want people to engage with yeah, it. You want people exactly. to, to be something that's memorable, that stands out, adds value, and doesn't necessarily do that. Mm, yeah, exactly. Well, hand over to this interview. Um, but Amber, thank you for taking the time to chat to me today. No worries. Cheers, Dave. Enjoy, enjoy your long weekend. Oh, thanks. And do. So we're talking to Sean Nolan, um, chief at Blink, uh, according to, to LinkedIn, which is a slightly unusual title. Why, why chief? <laughs> I don't know. I think I was just in the moment of rebellion trying to re- reject this kind of CEO title, which sounds very formal and very sort of pompous so i was trying to do something a bit different i think it's kind of kind of kind of i like it i I like it's just yeah it's it's very malleable at the same time as being very kind of this is what it is no um before we get into anything else then do you want to tell us who blink are yeah sure so we're a startup um originally founded in london although the us is now our kind of primary market and fastest growing market um we serve frontline workers so we've built a mobile app that allows frontline workers to get access to anything they need, really. So access to all the applications they need to do shift scheduling, rostering, pay, payroll, payslips, swap shifts to um, refer friends, do surveys, get information, message their supervisor, everything all in one app or all through one app. Um, so we service primarily like transit. We got started in the transit industry. Healthcare would now be our, our, our biggest market. And then we also have presence in hospitality, retail, manufacturing, construction. There's, there's a long tail. Um, of other frontline sectors that we also serve. And if you don't mind me asking, how how did this come about? Because your early career was as a, a network manager and a network security engineer. <laughs> then you were co-founder of a what looks like perhaps a, a network and security services business in the UK. So th- this is 
This is a slight pivot, right, in terms of your own focus. Yeah, kind of. So in, in that business, we grew that up to about 200 people, so fairly modest, but we most of those people were distributed. So they were based out on client sites. They were miles away from our main office. So it was quite hard to build a company culture, a sense of belonging. And it was also hard to get things done, like basic workflow, whether that's appraisals, expenses, timesheets, those types of things. So we built our own kind of employee, what would now be called, I think, an employee experience portal, but brought all of that together along with collaboration and communication in one place. So I really saw the power of a really efficient and effective digital employee experience to build a company culture with people who are not in the same location and also make the company run more effectively, uh, which it's, it's a true win-win. Like People love it because it's much easier for them to get things done, swap shifts, book holiday, understand what's happening in the organization, have a voice. And the company loves it for all the obvious reasons. Um, both operationally, it's more efficient and you know people are happier. So they stay for longer and so on and so forth. So it, it, that's kind of how I got into this area. We ended up building, I ended up, so that was kind of why I was so passionate about it. We ended up building something around that um, in, the, in the sort of first version of Blink. Blink's been quite a journey. We've kind of, I've made kind of all of the mistakes that you can make uh, in doing a startup. Um, so initially we built this, I kind of, the insight was, listen, let's not build all this functionality ourselves. Let's build a single application that, that augments or kind of consolidates all of that functionality that, ha- that, that lives across different applications. So if you're using Workday or using Oracle or you're using SharePoint for your content, like let's bring that together in, in one app. Um, but we didn't really have a clear idea of our target market when we launched. So I spent a year pounding the streets to anyone that would talk to me. Um, and that's when we kind of discovered this frontline space. Um, and initially when I when we sort of started talking to frontline organizations, I kind of assumed that existing workplace technology would already work for them and and I wasn't really aware of the need that existed there. But in doing a, a whole load of customer discovery and conversations with those organizations and eventually pilots and rollouts, we discovered that actually the technology we built at Blink was ideally suited to that use case. And since then, for the last four years, that's all we focused on. Um, so that's kind of how how we arrived at being an app for, for frontline workers. And I think it's worth um, talking a little bit about what we mean by frontline workers, because before we hit record, I fell into the trap of going, NHS, yeah. let's talk about pandemic. Yeah. And that's a little bit narrow in its... In its um, uh, description right so 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 when you're talking about frontline what what does that encompass yeah obviously the term frontline has been you know sort of a few years ago it wasn't obvious that was the right term i think in the us in particular they, they were calling these types of workers first line workers and it's still not clear exactly who's in that category the way we think about it and certainly for blink we want to touch and help anyone who's not digitally connected to their organization so typically that's someone who doesn't sit behind a desk they doesn't. They don't have a. They're not given a workplace device like a laptop or a phone, um, and they probably don't have even a workplace digital identity like an email address or, or, or some way or something like that. So that's actually a much broader pool of people. Um, it's about half of the workforce in the UK and in the US. So this is everyone from cleaners through to yeah healthcare definitely through transit through manufacturing through construction through utilities um, intersectors um, that we also serve. Like everything from childcare, so we just signed up a large provider of um, pre preschool childcare, for example, in Australia, and um, refuse collection in both London and in Sydney. We have customers in that sector. So there's, there's lots of sectors where people don't fall into the classic definition of you know someone who sit behind a desk and have a company device, and therefore, therefore they are typically they're still communicating with the organisation through word of mouth, through rumours, and through cascading information. Typically, they're still getting things done through paper forms. So they would hand in a paper form to book a holiday or swap a shift. They'd receive a paper payslip. 
Um, so that working practices, they haven't really been enabled by digital technology yet. Um, and that's kind of where we, we come in. It seems to be a massive um, missed opportunity for organisations where workforce planning is concerned not to be able to capture the data that they have on these people, I would, I would assume. Yeah, it, it's a real... The technology's out there to do that kind of thing. But what, the thing that we found when we started talking to these organisations and then started talking to frontline workers was the friction to adopt those kind of applications on someone's personal smartphone is really high versus the perceived value they would get. So most companies are trying to push out six, seven, eight different digital applications that they've purchased to those frontline workers. But frontline workers don't really want to install eight company work apps on their personal smartphone. And even if they did, you know, logging onto each one with a different username and password and trying to remember them all and password resets, it's just really hard. So that's kind of where we saw an opportunity to bring all that together in one application um, that frontline workers can install and use and love to use. It's really simple. It, it's beautiful. It works really well. Um, and that gives them access then to their payslips or to their rostering or to their, they can refer a friend for to work or they can access extra shifts or do whatever they need to do. And it's interesting that you chose to talk about, you know, they operate on rumours or word of mouth. Again, before we hit record, you were talking about frontline workers operating in the dark. Is, is that what you mean? They're, they're effectively... Uh, one degree of separation from the organization that they work for almost at all times. Yeah, that's often what we see. Um, you know, there isn't the sort of democratization of information. So there'll be those that are kind of in the know because they are close to a supervisor or because they've read the notice board. But then there's lots of people who don't have a voice or don't feel heard. Um, they might do an, you know, the company might do an annual staff survey or something, but really, um, especially these days, you can appreciate the best ideas can come from anywhere. And there's a, that happens in real time. And things are changing so quickly on the ground, especially to your earlier point through COVID, that having that real time two way communication with the front line, especially with, between their supervisors, but also, you know, giving the CEO even, an, you know, a voice and a, and a channel to have a two way conversation with their frontline workers can be extremely powerful. Um, and we've seen that across our customer base where um that's been really well received that 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 that, that, that breakdown of those barriers um makes the organization feel more accessible more transparent um to everyone based um well sorry founded in the uk then we're in australia but now in the us you yourself are moving to the us it's your fastest growing market yeah. but you describe the two markets 50 you know about 50 percent of the workforce in the uk and the us so roughly similar section of the of the employee market to go after why why is your technology taking off in the us why is it resonating there perhaps more than anywhere else we see that that us organizations are slightly further ahead on the adoption curve of digital tools so we're in the uk so far companies might have pushed out three or four or maybe you know digital applications to frontline workers in the us it's they've pushed out a few more maybe five six or seven so the pain just gets more and more acute as you're pushing out those applications and you're trying to modernize your business. So we have, for example, people in the US in the aged care sector, in-home aged care, and they're trying to move to more dynamic model of shift allocation. They're trying to allow people to choose when they want to work to give people more flexibility so they can attract more workers into the industry um, and compete with on-demand jobs, for example. And they're really struggling with adoption of those technology and those tools. So it's really holding, holding back the growth of their businesses. So, and we just see them slightly further ahead on that curve. Um, there also can be often larger organizations so they're even more distributed. So the pain is you know, slightly more acute as well. Um, so yeah, I think, I think it's, it's that kind of just slightly further ahead on the technology adoption curve. In some cases, obviously 
it depends on the industry, depends on the, the CIO and depends on the, the business and how, how quickly they're trying to modernize. Um, but yeah, that's, we just, we definitely see that, that application, that, that desire to push out more and more apps, um, whether it's for things like background checks to confirm that someone's got the right qualifications or whether it's an application to um, give people rewards and benefits and discounts or whether it's an application to check your retirement planning and savings or whether it's an application to, um, I don't know, to, to, to complete some essential e-learning. Like, they're, they're the kind of things where we where Blink can really help. Um, so, so, yeah, definitely, particularly in U.S. healthcare, where we are very much focused right now, we're seeing, we're seeing a real need for that. It's interesting because I perhaps naively and ignorantly think of the UK and Europe being ahead of the US when it comes to choice and flexibility, where it comes to, to um, the employer-employee relationship. And there you're talking about these, these you know, through the adoption of technology, flexibility, rewards, planning, e-learning. So it's through that pro- proliferation of tech, and I suppose there are, whilst the percentage of the market might be the same fifty percent, there's that many more frontline workers in the US that may be over greater distances that's pushing this forward. Yeah, it's, it's definitely um, being pushed forward in the UK as well. I think both markets are seeing you know, a real shortage of frontline workers right now. Um, you know, nearly every company we work with, staff shortages is one of the top three priorities on on the board's mind. Um, it's one of the things that's stopping them being operationally effective you know you've seen everything from ba cancelling short haul flights this week um in the uk um through to you know restaurants limiting opening hours and limiting the number of seats seats they're doing in each in each in each turn of the the covers so yeah we you know that that staff shortage is really acute and that's that's really where companies are trying to rethink the worker experience attract different types of workers into the sector retain the workers they've already got you know we work with organizations um for example in the US EMS industry so ambulance industry you know it's not unusual that 25 or 30 percent of their workers would would leave every year we work in other sectors where that number is even higher so there's some sectors we work in where staff turnover can be as high as 50 percent so you know half of your workforce is leaving every year so if you can if you've got staff shortages if you can reduce that by 10 percent by giving people more convenience um or just or identifying other reasons why they're leaving because they feel dissatisfied I think if you look at the UK care sector, um, there's a stat that the majority of people who leave their jobs in, in working for a provider in the care sector, still they stay in the same sector, but they go and work for another provider. So if you can offer a superior experience to that worker, where they feel more heard, where they're given more flexibility, where they um, have a better access to training and development, and they stay for longer, then you know that's going to enable you to significantly reduce your costs around staff. Um, hiring staff and around staff turnover and also in, improve the service you're offering to your to the carees because they have a consistent carer who's looking after them for longer and understands their needs better so you have better patient outcomes as well so it's, it's, it, you know, it's a real win-win so look last thing i'd want to ask you is i suppose turning more to kind of that personal story point of view you talked about the fact that you've made all of the mistakes you can make um, there are quite a few mistakes you can make, but, <laughs> so I can't imagine you made them all. But nonetheless, if, if you were talking to a, to another founder who's kind of starting out on their journey, of those mistakes, which is one that you think you learned the most from that you would you would try and tell someone to to avoid? Oh, the, the, <laughs> so many. Like I guess the classic cliche one is 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 that kind of hire slow, fire fast one. Um, just just finding the right people and then. You know, keeping great people with you on the journey. Um, 
and being really thoughtful about your selective process, selection process. And I guess my main learning around that was definitely like being really intentional about the type of culture that you want to build. And I definitely wasn't intentional enough. And that meant, you know, that we, you know, we didn't have a perfect match of some of the people we brought into the business versus how we wanted to work and how ambitious we are. And yeah, not being, um, not being explicit enough about that early on, I think definitely. And every time you make a mistake around that, we, every time we make a mistake around that, it's, it's definitely our fault. We take responsibility for it. It has a huge impact to the organization and to the individual. So I think just being far more thoughtful and, and investing like, you know, we invested, we invested quite heavily in talent acquisition really early. Like we had a full-time in-house talent acquisition person, I think, I think employee number 15 or so. So quite early, but I would have done it even earlier and I would have put more of my own time and thought into it. Um, definitely. So, you know, people, the business is, is just a collection of people at the end of the day. So I think that's, even though I thought we were over-investing that area, in hindsight, we were under-investing that area. I really appreciate your time. If someone is keen to find out more about uh, Blink and what um, your organisation can offer, how how best would they do that? Uh, you can check out our website at uh, joinblink.com, J-O-I-N-B-L-I-N-K.com. It's probably the, probably the easiest way. Uh, and and yeah, look, good luck. I know that you've obviously just had that huge uh, move um, <laughs> across the pond, so I hope that continues to go well and I hope the uh, the company continues to Yeah, thanks, Dave. Great to chat.